Hi, I'm David Franklin, and you're listening to Episode 8 of Season 2 of the Shintaido of America podcast. Shintaido, in case you haven't heard this word, is an amazing body movement practice, a dynamic and creative holistic health exercise invented in Japan in the 1960s. Shintaido can be a way to open up to a deeper connection with ourselves, with our community, and with nature. In this episode, you're going to hear my interview with David Palmer, known as the father of seated massage. You've probably seen people getting massaged in these special chairs, possibly in airports, hair salons, or in offices. To be clear, we're not talking about those electric easy chairs that have motors in them to give you a mechanical massage or so-called massage. Personally, I don't recommend wasting your money on that. To help you visualize what we're talking about, these are the special chairs in which the client sits, fully clothed, leaning forward with the knees bent, to be massaged by another human being. David Palmer began his professional massage career in 1980. Before his teacher, Takashi Nakamura, returned to Japan in 1982, he prepared David to assume operation of the AMA Institute. The AMA Institute was the first school in the United States exclusively devoted to traditional Japanese massage. And AMA, by the way, is a style of traditional Japanese massage. It was here that David first began experimenting with teaching his graduates to work on clients while they were seated in a chair rather than lying on a table. In 1989, David stepped down as director of the school to focus full-time on the development of the seated massage industry. In 1986, his chair was introduced to the bodywork profession by Living Earth Crafts and has served as the basic model for all subsequent massage chairs. David has written exclusively about chair massage and the massage industry in general. His book, The Bodywork Entrepreneur, was used as a standard business text in bodywork schools during the 1990s. He also developed Marketing Chair Massage, which is considered the best primer on the subject in the field. Prior to entering the field of massage, David Palmer spent 10 years as a developer and administrator of social service programs for nonprofit agencies in Chicago and San Francisco. David Palmer is also, as you will hear, a Shintaido practitioner. David Palmer, welcome to the Shintaido of America podcast. Glad to be here. Let's start with an event in your career that many people would consider a landmark. You were the first person to bring on-site seated massage to Apple Computer. In When, when was that, actually? Uh, that was 1983. We were uh, just at the beginning of when the personal computer revolution was happening, and Apple, which had created their little Apple computers, were creating the Macintosh computer in a building that flew a, uh, uh, flew a skull and crossbones flag on top of it because Steve Jobs uh, realized what a revolution he was beginning with the Macintosh computer. And where was this? Down in Silicon Valley in Cupertino, California. We used to go down, load of a, a group of uh, you know five to seven people in a Volkswagen minivan and drive it twice a week down to Apple and uh, set up a little uh, chairs, uh, uh, drummer stools actually, uh, and go from cubicle to cubicle and uh, and do a little upper body massage on the folks there. Yeah. 
how did that come about? How did did they hear about you? Did you approach them? What was they the did hear about us. Um, one of the the guy who was running the documentation department for the first Macintosh. Um, he was a, uh, a kid, really, 22-year-old, who was on on leave from uh, Berkeley, uh, California, the University of Berkeley. And uh, he um, uh, saw one of our flyers floating around San Francisco and decided that that's what they would need to keep the workers going until they got the documentation done. Um, uh, they were under a deadline, a, a definite deadline. Uh, there was a famous commercial, uh, 1984 commercial, um, uh, that uh, that they had promised that they'd have it, the Macintosh computer delivered in 1984, and we were part of the uh, of the support group, basically. And from there, one department, uh, the next department next door saw it and they wanted it and then more people wanted it and that's how we ended up doing up to 350 people a week. Was it a hard sell to get body work into this computing, this you know, this is an environment, an office environment where people yeah. are doing a lot of work with computers. Was it a hard sell to persuade them that body work belongs in this place? Well, they were desperate and they would have done anything. Uh, and, you know, in, you know, they, this was the era of the reinvention of the corporation, the corporate cultures. And Apple was at the forefront of, uh, of reinventing it. So, for example, we were dressed better than the people who worked there. Um, uh, uh, and, you know, and those were the days when they had... Uh, uh, beer bashes on Friday and uh, uh, that rent out a movie theater to ha take all the employees to see the latest Star Wars movie. Um, and it, we were just a part of that. We we're a part of the revolution, the cultural revolution. And I give Steve Jobs a lot of credit for, um, uh, for creating the foundation for that culture, uh, corporate revolutionary culture, really. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I today walk into an IT company as an English teacher, for example, mm -hmm. and I see a room where there are ping pong tables yep. and, uh, you know, games and stuff for employees to relax and a relaxation room. That all began. That was Apple. That was, that Apple, was Apple. Started that, that trend. started that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and, and because it was, you know, the cutting edge of the uh, personal computer revolution, um, uh, you know, just in the same way that later he created the cutting edge of the uh, of the uh, smartphone revolution with the iPhone. Um, he wasn't the first to do it, you know, use the technology, but he was the first he was the visionary. He could see the larger implications and where it was going. Yeah. Did you give Steve Jobs a massage? He got massaged not in in the office, but um, outside of the office on his personal time. Uh, he did his predecessor. I mean, his su successor, um, uh, uh, the the uh, guy who uh, uh, took his place uh, for a short period of time for a few years. Um, he would get massaged in uh, in the office and. You know, and we had lots of very interesting experiences with the different departments relating to massage. Um, one of the ongoing problems with massage has always been that people see it as a luxury. Um, and so bringing massage into the office, some of the department heads felt like 
if you're getting massage, you weren't really working, you know, that everybody had to be working all the time. And, and so you're slacking off if you're getting a massage. Well, now the concept of slacking off has been um, uh, pretty institutionalized. And there's even a, an app uh, that's used by most of these uh, companies called Slack um, uh, that, you know, acknowledges the fact that you need some sort of a balance in your life. One of the things that massage is really good at is helping people find balance in their life. And uh, for example, one of the people that we worked on, I never forget this guy who uh, got one 15 minute massage, uh, went home and didn't show up for work for three days um, because he just collapsed. You know, what he needed was time off. And, and the massage, you know, he went home and went to sleep and uh, didn't wake up. And, and it took him, you know, a couple of days to re, um, uh, reconnect, you know, with all the parts of himself and right. be able to go back in. And if I understand your point, had he been getting regular massages and had more balance from the beginning, that would not have happened. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Massage at the level that I do it. I don't do massage therapy. I'm not fixing, trying to fix anything. The, you know, what we're trying to do is prevent little problems from becoming big problems. And because we use um, uh, the uh, traditional Chinese medicine as our theoretical framework, um, uh, that is all about balance. It's about, you know, bringing uh, circulatory balance back into the body and, uh, uh, and and having the body work in an optimal, uh, you know, uh, to its optimal effect. Mm -hmm. For people who don't know, because massage, the word massage covers a very wide range of body work. For people who don't know specifically about what you have specialized in and made your reputation on, talk a little bit about specifically seated massage uh, in a portable chair, like describe what it is for people that you're doing fully clothed. What right. is this? What is this type of massage? So it's um, it's good to contrast it with the traditional image of massage, which is going into a private room behind closed doors, laying down, often most of the time naked on on a table with another person in the room and getting touched all over. Our, my insight back in 1982 was that um, most people would never do that. Um, and, and not to mention paying, you know, 70, 80, 90, $150 for the hour long privilege, you know, of, of getting a full body table massage. Um, that's not going to happen for most people on a regular basis. It might happen on an occasional basis on, you know, anniversaries as presents or, you know, on the cruise ship or whatever, but it's out of reach. Um, uh, psychologically, financially, um, uh, for and even time-wise. It, it takes up a lot of time out of uh, busy schedules. So it's not really practical. Um, what, what we did back in 1982 was we repackaged it, basically. We put it into another format. We allowed people to sit down rather than lay down. We allowed them to keep on their clothes on. Um, uh, we... Um, created a, a, a system of doing massage um, based on, on Japanese massage technique that didn't require oils or lotions, um, that could be done through the clothing, and we shortened the time. Uh, you know, we put it down in as little as, uh, we, we sell as little as five minutes worth of massage at events, um, uh, or up to as long as 30 minutes of massage. 
At that time, back in 1982-83, we didn't have a massage chair. And we, um, when, when working at Apple Computer, I realized that we needed a more comfortable way that would support the whole body um, so that rather than just sitting on a stool and having to hold the client's body up while we we're massaging them at the same time was obviously not optimal. So the idea of a massage chair um, became pretty obvious that we needed one. And that, you know, after a couple of years of working on it in 1986, the first massage chair was introduced. I should issue a disclaimer, not a disclaimer, but I should tell the audience, I personally studied shiatsu massage mm-hmm in Boston, at Boston Shiatsu School, and you taught an on-site chair massage workshop at the school, which I participated in, and I then went on with a friend to start an on-site chair massage company in Boston, which was quite successful. Mm -hmm. We were going around to IT companies, advertising companies, lawyers, Bose Audio, where they had a call center, you know, people who spent a lot of time sitting, a lot of time keyboarding, um, and this was, for me, it was a a quite successful business. It worked very well, um, but one of the things I found... Um, was that when I say the word massage chair, some people think about those electronic chairs that give you what is not what I believe is a massage. They do some mechanic. And so what, what you guys came up with was a chair where the client is leaning forward, the head is supported, and people have seen these in airports, maybe in hair salons, maybe in uh, rest fairs or some kind of conferences or stuff like that, where there's a human being massaging your neck, your arms, your shoulders right. um, in this chair that allows the client to lean forward and relax. So tell me a little bit more about how this chair, you invented this chair with... Um, I had a, a, a partner um, to uh, do the initial development. It was a French cabinet maker who was living in San Francisco at the time, uh, Serge Brousseau. And he and I um, put together the prototypes that we took up to a company called Living Earthcrafts and uh, the north of San Francisco that made massage tables. And working with that um, a company for, like I say, about two years it took to get one off of the um, production line and into people's hands. And that was the version that we call the chair in a box um, uh, that's nobody uses anymore because it was all wooden and it was about uh, uh, 24 pounds. Um, it was a heavy, a luggable right. uh, massage chair. And now, you know, massage chairs, you know, good ones will run about 19 or 20 pounds. Yeah. Um, uh, but the same, they and they're made out of metal now and they, um, uh, they're lightweight and uh, easy to uh, to very much more portable than the old versions. Yeah, I lugged mine all over Boston <laughs> and knew it. I mean, sometimes by car, but sometimes on the subway. Yeah, and just over my shoulder. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I still have uh, uh, one of the prototypes. I've still got a, a few uh, lying around for uh, historic purposes. Yeah. You've just been listening to part one of my interview with David Palmer, Shintaido practitioner and expert in the field of seated massage, and this is the Shintaido of America podcast. I'm David Franklin. 
We're about to hear part two of the interview, but before we get to that, I have a favor to ask. If you're enjoying today's podcast, the most important thing you can do to help out is to tell people about us. I want to give a big shout out to those of you who have already shared the podcast on social media, shout, thank you, and who gave us a good rating on whichever podcasting app you're using. That also helps a lot. If you haven't done that yet, it would be great if you could just hit the pause and do that right now. Share the podcast on social media and give us a good rating and then hit play again. I'll wait. Okay, thanks. On with the show. Let's talk about some of your early experiences practicing Shintaido. Okay. Um, this was in the Bay Area, right? Right, right. So at that time, when you first encountered Shintaido, had you already studied massage in Japan? Were you already familiar with Japanese culture or was this a, how was it? I had some familiar with familiarity with Japanese culture by uh, virtue of having studied Japanese massage. And my teacher was Japanese and, uh, and he ran a school in San Francisco that I studied at, um, that provided practitioners for a spa in San Francisco called Kabuki Hot Spring. And when he decided he was moving back to Japan, I, he worked with me for two years to uh, learn how to teach and take over the school. So I did have some familiarity that way. But when when I began working on the seated massage um, uh, process, um, one of my students was also a student of Ito in uh, San Francisco. And I knew about that relationship. I'd never met um, uh, Ito-sensei you know, at that point. But my student took the massage, the seated massage, to Ito and gave him a massage, and 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 I eagerly awaited his uh, his analysis. And uh, I, I just want to insert for in case some people listening don't know who you're talking about. Okay, uh, Haruyoshi Ito is one of the master shintaidos, one of the master instructors of shintaido, of which there are only four currently in the world. And he was the co- is the co-founder of Shintaido of America, and was yeah, one of the principal people in the the key players in the group that invented Shintaido in Japan in the sixties and seventies. So that's who we're talking about. One of your students was also one of his students. was also one of his students right. in the Bay Area. Right. And okay, great. And we're in the nineteen eighties. So we're in the nineteen eighties, yeah. uh, early eighties, mid eighties, and and. When he came back to report on the reaction of uh, of Ito Sensei, his teacher, um, uh, I I was on pins and needles, basically wondering what an authentic, you know, um, martial art person from Japan at this very high level of of uh, practice would think of this uh, new idea, and so I said eagerly uh, to my student. I said, well, what did he think of it? 
And my student said, Ito said, it's a good kata. And that was all the feedback he had. And I said, what's a kata? And that was my first introduction to Shintaido um, uh, and martial arts, really, and that whole world that just opened up for me a new way of teaching, of approaching um, the work itself. And it's been core to how we, what we call, uh, you know, my organization is called TouchPro, what we call the TouchPro approach. Um, the, the sense, the idea of a kata has been central to everything that I've, um, uh, foundational that I put into my work since then. Now, on the sort of most simplest, unphilosophical level, a kata means, let's say, a, a preset sequence of actions. Exactly. A form. Um, yeah. uh, probably the kata that people are most generally familiar with is Tai Chi, something like Tai Chi. That's a very common, popular one around the world. And, and you know, it's a preset uh, set of uh, highly choreographed movements. Um, and that's how we teach. I, I realized that's how we were teaching massage. I didn't know that before, but we were teaching massage like you teach a martial art. And that was a breakthrough for me. What about when you yourself attended your first Shintaido practices? What, well, was, your, what was your impression? <laughs> it was still, um, uh, it was tough for me. And, and at that moment, I was um, uh, an absolute beginner. And, and it was all very, very new to me and rigorous. I mean, I was a lot younger, um, uh, certainly 40 years ago, but it was still very rigorous for my body. And But I could see, I'd always been interested in the martial art perspective and, and actually, in a larger sense, the Eastern worldview as opposed to the Western worldview. And it really helped me to dive in uh, to that part of my brain and that perspective um, and and figure out how to integrate it into my world did you did you feel that you saw the value of it right away because for me personally the first few times I went to Shintaido my main response was this doesn't make sense this is very weird I don't get it did you walk in and after one class say, I can see the value in this well there were there are a couple of aspects of it for me I um, was had some familiarity with meditation, so I understood something about the uh, the Eastern viewpoint on learning, on discipline, on on the need for going deep rather than wide, and. Uh, and and I really, uh, you know, it spoke to me. I, that's what I'll say. It just confirmed and gave words to a lot of things that I already felt. Um, I gave a conceptual framework that um, allowed me to communicate much more effectively um, things that I had already experienced in my own subjective life. What about the practical value of studying Shintaido for body workers? Do, does, do, 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 the, do the skill sets that people learn or the things that they experience through practicing Shintaido, do those have value for masseurs 
and other forms, Feldenkrais practitioners, I don't know, Alexander or body-mind centering or those other, let's say, bodywork disciplines? There are so many ways <laughs> that it has impacted um, uh, my approach to bodywork. The kata being only one of, of them. Um, the idea that you learn, you give, you give, you, we, what we tell our students is we're going to give you the whole onion. We're going to give you the whole kata and that your job, you know, for the rest of your life will be to peel away the layers of the onion. And I always note that every time I do a massage, every time I receive a massage, every time I teach a massage, every time I even watch the kata being executed by a practitioner, I peel away another layer of the onion. And and I haven't gotten to the center yet. And that's been 40 years now. Uh, so uh, that's one piece of it. An- another piece of it is the is the and, and and that also relates to the idea of learning deep as opposed to learning wide, um, learning one thing really well, or what we talk about is the path of mastery. And I think Shintaido is a path of mastery. You don't become a master of Shintaido or a master of the kata, my massage, um, uh, uh, but you can walk the path, and walking the path is, um, the, you know, is is more important than the destination. Um, the path is the des- in fact, the destination. So um, you can do the the same fifteen minute, twenty minute massage over and over again, and just like in the martial arts, the goal is to make the kata disappear, um, to make it so automatic that you can begin to pay attention to the really important things that are going on. And the really important thing that's going on is that this is a relationship based on touch, not on talk, um, uh, and it's a two-way communication. We're touching you, but under your hands, under my hands, you're touching me back at the same time. And there's constant communication that's um, uh, going on and learning how to listen and learning how to communicate back and forth, have a two-way communication is a lifelong skill. I mean, uh, you know, how can you ever get to the bottom of that? And in my framework, you know, it's touch that's the essential gift or service that we're offering. Um, I know in massage, a lot of people get caught up in, you know, the utility of massage to, uh, you know, cure a headache or cure a backache or, you know, cure um, uh, various physical problems and sometimes even going into the psychological, you know, end of things, um, uh, uh, psychotherapeutic work with massage. That's not the level that I operate on. I operate at the at the most basic level, which is the value of positive touch in people's lives and the essential need that we have for it. And the chair massage is the way that we um, kind of break it down to its essential components. We don't pretend to have intentions that are higher than just making people feel better. So um, 
that's a great advantage to chair massage is that we don't have to make big promises. Um, uh, what I can promise you is that after getting a chair massage, um, whatever it means for you, where even if you've had a headache or if you've had a backache or if you've had a bad day, um, you're going to feel better. And, and I can guarantee that um, uh, by saying, if you don't, you don't have to pay us. Um, uh, and, you know, and that's one of the, it's one of the few kinds of services where you, you can do that with confidence. Um, uh, and the reason we can do it with confidence is because we have a, a really good kata um, uh, that's very deeply grounded in, um, you know, in two or 3,000 years of Chinese medicine theory and 1,500 years of Japanese massage technique. You've spent a lot of your career introducing this new and unusual form of body work, seated on-site chair massage, into new environments where people did not expect to get a massage, like in the office. Uh, I've done, I know that, I've given people massage in, you know, the HR department sets up an empty room, people come in, get 10 or 15 minute massages. Do you have any tips in general for communicating with people in this health, wellness, fitness space about, you know, this is a new form of body work, um, how to introduce it, you know, what gets past their barriers or their defenses. And, you know, we're talking about clients who are going to sit in the chair, but we're also talking maybe about HR people who have to decide if this belongs in the company or, you know, the head of the department who decides if they're going to gift this to their employees or whatever it is. What do you know? Do you have any ideas about, you know, what's a good way to to bring this new thing, this new form of body work that people might not be familiar with? Maybe they've seen it in airport, maybe not um, to 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 sort of get them to open up to the idea. Well, you know, in a sense, you can look at um, our cultural relationship to touch as being pretty um, uh, uh, antagonistic um, in in the West, um, particularly. And so the barriers that we have to overcome are not just barriers to massage, but actually barriers to um, touch, which is a an, a relationship um, that, by its very de- definition, is intimate. So, what we have is a difficulty with with uh, managing um, intimate relationships in our culture. Um, the 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 connection, for example, between uh, table massage and the way it was structured, and and what happens in the bedroom is pretty inextricable because we're pattern thinkers and there's only one other time in our lives when we go into a private room behind closed doors with another person, take off all our clothes and lay down. Um, uh, and so part of the what chair massage does is break the mold, you know, and, and force people to, when you see it, to, um, uh, to, to reconfigure their notions about about massage and more importantly about touch um, and so it becomes because it becomes more accessible um, uh, it eventually becomes more acceptable to people 
And accessibility is what we were really um, focusing on when when the concept of uh, chair massage uh, developed. Um, and out of the accessibility has come the acceptability. And you know, I've got pictures of people doing chair massage in Red Square in Moscow, um, people doing it on a, on a, a riverboat, um, uh, people, uh, you know, doing it on mountaintops <laughs> and, and any context. So, so it allows for an expansion of people's idea about what massage is. Now, the value of massage is that it's um, a much safer container for positive touch than uh, than than just kind of casual touch is, you know, um, especially in this post-COVID era where touch became anathema, you know. So we're we're really struggling um, with realigning our cultural attitudes toward touch, and massage is a way is a container that makes it. Uh, safer for people to have this, um, and I'll use the word intimate experience, um, intimate, but not in the, in the sexual sense. Um, intimacy, touch is invariably intimate because it's two people having a relationship without a doubt. You know, when I touch you, um, there's no question but what I'm in relationship with you. Um, uh, and because it's touch, there's a lot of of, um, of uh, movement, communication that's happening back and forth, nonverbal communication that's happening back and forth, that's far more intimate than, say, for example, just using your eyes. You know, um, so you know, touch is the is the uh, I call it the orphan sense um, because uh, you know thousands of papers and research documents, books uh, have been filled, you know, with uh, information about about hearing, uh, uh, taste, uh, uh, sight, um, uh, and but the, the skin, the touch, the largest organ in the body has been left out uh, to a great extent. And so we're, we're now beginning to come to a place where we're um, uh, understanding the importance of touch in people's lives, particularly when it got taken away. Um, and so it's become a, now a more uh, targeted focus of research because of COVID. That's what we have COVID to thank for. Because when you took touch away, that social interaction, um, people suffered from it. It's touch is essential to not only development, childhood development, but also maintenance of good health and well-being as your diet, as your exercise, um, uh, as your ability to um, make connections with other people. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, chair massage has been a way of uh, containing and, and making that available uh, to other folks. Let's uh, expand. We spanned a great deal of history in a few minutes with <laughs> massage in Shintaido. Is there anything else you wanted to add about the interconnections between Shintaido and massage or chair, seated chair massage? Well, I could go on for a long time about the, the connections between the two, but one of the things I'd like to highlight, highlight is the uh, concept of an importance of movement. So movement is fundamental to circulation. Um, uh, that's how 
things circulate in our bodies because we move. Um, uh, you know, the muscles uh, pump the circulation. Um, uh, the movement in space stimulates our uh, the circulation of our psychophysiology. Um, the movement coin has two sides. One side is as active movement where we move ourselves, like in Shintaido, for example, which is, we call Shintaido a movement form. Um, uh, and the other side of the movement coin is passive movement, where somebody moves you, and we call that massage, where somebody moves your muscles. And so there's a very direct relationship between the, the two approaches to movement, which is also essential, one of the essential pieces of living a, a healthy life and developing well-being. If people want to know more about Touch Pro style of seated chair massage, how, where should they go? How, what the, where, where Easy. Um, uh, touchpro.com. T-O-U-C-H-P-R-O.com. Uh, and you'll get it all there. David Palmer, thank you very much for joining us on the Shintaido of America podcast. My pleasure. This is the Shintaido of America podcast. You've just been hearing my interview with chair massage expert and Shintaido practitioner David Palmer, and I'm Shintaido instructor David Franklin. We're nearly done, but be sure to listen through to the end of the credits for the cherry. Before the cherry, I'm going to pass the hat around among you who are hearing the sound of my voice and do a bit of busking here on the information highway. Shintaido of America is a totally member-supported nonprofit organization, and there are many ways to support our truly micro-budget production of educational materials. And I really mean that. We produce a huge amount of content on volunteer power, but some things just require a few bucks in the bank. So, one way is to make a one-time donation in any amount— or become a member of Shintaido of America for only $60 per year, if you're hearing this in 2023. It would mean a great deal to our hardworking team. You can do that, sign up for our free email newsletter, and also find all kinds of free educational resources at our website, where you can also find all the previous episodes of this podcast, all for free, which is www.shintaido.org. That's www.s-h-i-n-t-a-i-d-o.org. That's whiskey, whiskey, whiskey. Sierra Hotel India November Tango Alpha India Delta Oscar. Oscar Romeo Golf. Got it. You can also find us on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube by searching for Shintaido of America. And our email address is podcast at shintaido.org. Our episode today was recorded and edited by me, David Franklin, with support from Sarah Baker, Connie Borden, Teresa Soldatova, Jim Sterling, the Joe Zawilski Memorial Fund, and of course, the members of Shintaido of America. Thank you. Okay, here's the cherry. For me, having a regular time to move into a state of consciousness from which I can view myself and the world from a higher altitude is critical. The world is becoming more complex by the day, and that level of complexity requires a new level of consciousness. 
How do we avoid getting overwhelmed and respond appropriately to the trauma that surrounds us? I'm looking for that big space inside me that allows me to experience all that is happening in this moment in my inner reality without getting hijacked by any one emotion or reaction I may have. I believe that we have to embody peace if we want to deal with complexities, resolve conflicts, and create solutions. That was a quote from David Palmer in an article in issue number 30, January 2012, of Body Dialogue, the Shintaido Journal. And guess what? You can find back issues of Body Dialogue, as well as previous episodes of this podcast, all for free, at our website, www.shintaido.org. Thanks for listening to the Shintaido of America podcast. Contents of this podcast, copyright Shintaido of America 2023. Shintaido, opening to life.